it messes you up. And so they had put the seventh hurdle in the wrong spot. The gun goes off. They leave the starting blocks. Boom, 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 jump, boom, 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 jump. They get to the seventh one, <laughs> and they just crash into the hurdles. It's like a five-car pileup right there in the middle of the track because they weren't expecting it. They didn't plan for it. I mean, they know how to jump over a hurdle, but it wasn't where they thought it was going to be. As disciples of Christ, as followers of Jesus, as people in this world trying to make Jesus known in this world, we are running a race. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, the end of verse 1, says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. There's a race to be run in this world, and we are all running. But sometimes in the race, (laughs) there are things that happen that are difficult. There are obstacles. There There are those on the sidelines throwing things. There is opposition. There are challenges. And so the question becomes, what do we do? How do we respond when there are obstacles, when there is opposition? How do we respond to obstacles in life? As Christians, we must realize that there will always be opposition. That as long as our world doesn't embrace the truth, the love of Christ, as long as our world, our society, our culture doesn't embrace the gospel, there will be opposition. Sometimes I'm I'm surprised that Christians think that the government or their employer or our culture or the media should be more Christian should embrace Christian values and morals. Why would anyone who doesn't profess the name of Christ submit themselves to the ways of Christ? We shouldn't be shocked when that happens in our world. You see, Christians have always faced opposition. The gospel has always been met with hostility. Look back at the first century Christians. Have you heard the stories? They were killed They were murdered. They were burned at the stake. They were fed to the lions many times as entertainment, as theater for the masses. Now, thankfully, today, at least in our culture, in our country, we don't face persecution like that. There are, however, countries right now where Christians do face things like that, imminent death, imprisonment, beatings, and so they have to hide. There's underground Christians. Thankfully, most thankfully, we don't have to really deal with that here but there is still opposition there are still obstacles and maybe it comes in different forms in different shapes different varieties but it's always there why would we ever think that the christian life why would we ever think that sharing the gospel why would we ever think that making disciples should always be easy peter says in first peter chapter 4 verse 12 dear friends do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. 
Peter says, if you choose to wear the name of Christ, if you surrender your life to Christ, if you're baptized into Christ and come up that new creation in Christ and you wear the name of Christ, then get ready. Because not everyone around you wears that name, appreciates that name. They may be indifferent to that name. They may be hostile toward that name. But if you encounter difficulty because of that name, praise God. Because you share in the sufferings of Christ, even in a small way. And you are wearing the name that is above all names. So as we think about what it means to be and to make disciples in this world, we have a choice to make when we face opposition, when there are obstacles. We can either give up, throw in the towel, or we can press on and we can keep running. The Apostle Paul had that same choice. And as we look at him today, just a couple of episodes, a couple of scenes from his life, one of the things you're going to see is that the choice he made was not circumstantial. It was not conditional. Many times we make these kinds of choices based on what's happening to us and around us and what we feel inside of us. For Paul, it wasn't about those things. There was something deeper going on. There was something deeply rooted in this man, this apostle, this follower of Jesus, this ambassador of Christ that transcended circumstances, that elevated above feelings. What was it? What was it, Paul? In Acts chapter 14, if you have a Bible, you might want to turn there. Acts chapter 14, Paul and one of his missionary buddies, Barnabas, are in the city of Lystra. Sometimes it's pronounced Lystra. But they're in this city, and they heal a man who is lame, the text says. And when the crowds see them heal this man, who they know is lame, they can't believe it. And they suddenly look at Paul and Barnabas as celebrities, specifically in their culture, as Greek gods. They literally want to worship them. They want to make sacrifices to them. Well, Paul is quick to step in and say, wait a second. No, no, we're just humans like you. There's only one God, the God of the universe. But they won't have it. The crowd won't listen to that. But isn't it interesting how crowds can be fickle? You see, the limelight of admiration quickly turned into the spotlight of criticism. Acts chapter 14, verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch, and Iconium, and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and he went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. <laughs> so often when we read through Acts, we just sort of glaze over that, you know? They beat him, I mean, they stoned him, they dragged him outside the city. Ah, what's next? That is significant. If that happened to any of us, it would be significant. And we see here the crowds can be so fickle. But of course, Jesus knows that. When he enters Jerusalem, one day the crowd is welcoming him as the king. Within a week later, they are yelling, crucify him. Well, this crowd here in Lystra, at one moment, they are ready to worship and make sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. And the next moment, they're ready to sacrifice Paul. They stone him. They throw huge rocks at him. They somehow trap him. He can't get away. They throw huge rocks at him. And then they drag him outside the city and throw him away. They discard him. Get rid of him. Get him out of our mind, out of our sight. He's done for. They think he's dead. If that would have been you, how would you have responded? If you were able to survive that, 
What would you have done next? What would your next move have been? I think I would have said, God, what in the world have you gotten me into? I don't want any part of this. I'm going home. I'm getting out of here. But what did Paul do? Verse 20, he got up and he went back into the city. (laughs) Paul, don't you realize, maybe they hit you in the head too many times. Don't you realize what they just tried to do to you? He goes back into the city, bruised and battered. Like a fighter knocked down time and time again to the mat. He gets up and he keeps fighting. He gets up and he keeps running. Later, when he writes in Galatians chapter 6 that his body bears the mark of Jesus or the marks of Jesus, I wonder if this is one of those times that contributed to those marks on his body. (laughs) There were many times for Paul. This wasn't a single incident. This wasn't an isolated case. And so what we see here is in the next two verses, Paul does leave, but then he comes back again. And the verse isn't on your screen, but if you have your Bible, you'll see it in verse 22. He comes back and he tells the people, we must go through hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven, to enter the kingdom of God. We must go through hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That is not a message most of us want to hear. That the gateway into the kingdom of God is hardship, challenge, difficulty, suffering. It's no wonder that people aren't clamoring to church if that is the message of the kingdom of God. And yet Paul is a realist. And Paul knows what he's dealing with himself. And he wants them to know because he knows they will be persecuted. That they share in the sufferings of Jesus. Another episode later, a couple of chapters later, Paul and another missionary buddy, Silas, they are in Philippi. They're sharing the gospel. And there is a young woman there who the text says has these demons. And these demons or this power somehow enables her to tell the future well you can imagine that kind of power that kind of of marketability is is soon observed by some very opportunistic men and they exploit this young lady and use her to make money because she has this ability well finally Paul the text says pulls these demons out of her and when he does that she can no longer do what she was doing which means she can no longer provide income for her owners As you can imagine, they aren't pleased with Paul. They are not happy about this. So in chapter 16, verse 19, look what happens. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. (laughs) They were on maximum security. In the inner cell, feet in stocks. They're in chains. They can't go anywhere. Here he is, again, only two chapters later, more trouble, more opposition, more adversity, more hardship. And again, if that's me, 
<coughs> if that's me, I'm saying, God, what, what are you doing? And I, was, I would probably start to reason with God. God, won't I be more effective if I'm not in prison, but out in the marketplace, out in the synagogue, out among the people sharing the good news? If I'm Paul, I'm rethinking my career choice. Maybe I don't have what it takes to be a missionary. Maybe I don't have what it takes to be a minister of the gospel. Maybe there's another calling. There's another job that would be a little bit more, let's say, safe. You know, maybe working at Home Depot. Maybe being a UPS driver. I gotta tell you, over the past year and a half, there have been some days. (laughs) There have been some days when I'm thinking, I could wear brown every day. I could wear brown shorts and drive a UPS truck. I could do that. That's what I would be thinking if I'm Paul. And yet, what is Paul doing? What is his response? Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. It's midnight. Maybe they can't sleep because they can't get comfortable. They've been beaten. Their clothes have been taken. They're in shackles. And maybe they can't lie down. They can't get comfortable. But maybe they're not sleeping because there's something more important to do. And they are singing praises to God my guess is and I'm just speculating my guess is they're not singing bind us together Lord bind us together with chains that cannot be broken my guess is they're singing something like my chains are gone I've been set free and that's exactly what happened if you know the story you know there was an earthquake the shackles come off the chains come off the doors fly open they are free to go and if that's me I am out of there But Paul remains. He didn't leave. Paul, are you crazy? Again, did you get hit in the head too many times? Don't you realize there's an open door? Take it. Get out of the situation. Why would you stay here? Remember earlier I said there was something deeper going on inside of Paul, something deeply rooted beyond feelings, beyond circumstances? I think we get a glimpse here. You see, there's a big difference between being mission-driven and being me-minded. When I am me-minded, the first thing on my priority list is to preserve self, self-preservation. But when I am mission-minded, self is knocked down the list a little bit. And the mission of God and the purpose of God, that becomes number one. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that he was compelled to preach. He would say, woe to me if I do not preach. See, there was something deeper there, the sense of purpose, the sense of mission. Woe to me if I do not preach. Well, Paul, you're in jail. Who are you preaching to? Anybody who'll listen. Anybody who will listen. And guess what? Somebody was listening. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Maybe he had heard some of the things they were saying in the streets. Maybe he had heard about the miracle. Maybe they were preaching in the prison. Maybe he at least heard their songs of praise and their prayers. And he responds, what must I do? You see, for Paul, mission transcended circumstances. In fact, the circumstances became the very means through which he accomplished the mission. That's what happens when we are all in as disciple makers. 
That's what happens when we are sold out as ambassadors of Christ. The jailer says, I need to do something. I need to respond. My life is not where it needs to be. I can clearly see that. I want what you have. What do I do? And Paul says, you put your faith in Jesus. And he goes on to teach not only the jailer, but his whole family. Before you know it, they're baptized into Christ. You see, if we are constantly looking If we're constantly looking out for our best interests, we will always take the easy path, won't we? We'll always look for and take the easy path. We will avoid hardship. We will avoid persecution. We will avoid having people think something that we don't want them to think about us. We will avoid obstacles at all costs because we're trying to preserve the things that are most important to us, namely self, health, well-being, finances, power, privilege, Anything that we think makes us feel important or secure, we will hang on to that and we will try to preserve that at all costs. Why would we take the difficult path? See, here's the thing. When we always take the easy path, we often miss out on opportunities. And when we miss out on opportunities, we often miss out on being part of what God is doing because God often does his most amazing, most transformative work on the difficult path. If we're sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ, everything in life is viewed as part of the race, part of the race that we're running with our eyes fixed on Jesus, making Jesus known, running for him and to him and with him And behind him. You see, sometimes as as citizens of this great country, we get confused about the race we're running. That metaphor has even been used in, you know, running the race in life and and trying to get the prize or trying to reach the finish line. We get confused sometimes about the race we're running. We think it's all about life and liberty and the pursuit of what? Happiness. Happiness. But when we begin to embrace our citizenship in heaven, we see differently. We see that life, my life, is something to be surrendered, something to be sacrificed. We see that liberty is something that we leverage for the sake of those who are oppressed, who need liberty. We see that happiness is not the ultimate goal, that it's temporary, that it's fading, that there is something far better. There is eternal joy. You see, it's a different perspective. Paul has this perspective. And he gives us a glimpse into his mindset in Acts chapter 20. As he's talking about his travel plans, he plans to go to Jerusalem, maybe to celebrate Passover with the other Jewish people there. Acts 20, verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, listen to this, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. You see, Paul knew the mission God had given him. He was compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach. My life, Paul would say, is about testifying to the good news of God's 
grace. When we get serious about our mission from God, obstacles become opportunities. We view ourselves differently. We view our resources differently. We view challenges and opposition and obstacles differently. They become opportunities. Every confrontation, every crisis becomes a platform to witness for Christ. You stone Paul and you drag him outside the city, he's going to get up and go back into the city and encourage the Christians. You strip him, you flog him, you throw him in jail, he's going to praise God and preach to anybody who will listen. You knock him down, he's going to get up and keep running the race and accomplish the task to testify to the good news of God's grace. Obstacles become opportunities. Over the past year and a half, we have said often that this COVID thing has been a huge obstacle, haven't we? You've probably said that in different conversations, in different contexts, and it has. Let's be honest, it has. We did not expect it. It was an unforeseen challenge, and certainly it has caused damage. But is it possible to look from a different vantage point? Is it possible to see that there are maybe opportunities that weren't there before and that we can step boldly into those opportunities to make much of Jesus? I mean, think about it. Have you had opportunities that you didn't have? Opportunities to see things that you needed to see, to see some blind spots, opportunities to have conversations that you needed to have or that someone needed to have with you, opportunities to spend more time with people who are dear to you, opportunities to reevaluate your life and your vocation and your decisions and your finances and everything else. You see, when we are sold out for the mission of God, we view obstacles as opportunities. We find those there. On this Commission Sunday, we think about our missionaries and what God is doing through them. If you saw in the bulletin, there's a little blurb about Team 3 in Nicaragua, one of our mission teams in Nicaragua. They are working closely with a rehabilitation center. The men in this rehabilitation center are dealing with substance abuse. And Team 3 has come in there and said, this is an opportunity. Yes, this is a difficult time for these men. Yes, they shouldn't be doing these things, but this is an opportunity. God is opening a door. This last Wednesday, they baptized 24 more men. Over the past 10 months or so, they have baptized about 80 men from this rehabilitation center, teaching them and showing them that true healing and true hope is found only in Jesus. The latest version of the Christian Chronicle has a story about Haiti. On July 7th, the president of Haiti was assassinated. When that happened, there was a church group from Tennessee there doing a mission trip, holding a vacation Bible school. They had a choice to make. What do we do? There's unrest. There's so much going on. There's people in the streets protesting. There's food shortages. What do we do? And as the headline says, assassination can't stop VBS. They said, this is an opportunity. We can teach these children. They need stability. They need security. We can show them that that's only in Jesus Christ. The article goes on to talk about one of the ministries that we support here, especially led by our primetime class, Hope for Haiti's Children. And it tells how they are doing the same thing. There's food shortages. There's protest. And they are looking at this as an opportunity. People need food. They need to be fed. Let's feed them. But let's not just feed them food, let's feed them spiritual nourishment. 
when we are sold out for the mission that God has given us. We begin to view obstacles as opportunities. But it's important that we acknowledge that when we embrace obstacles as opportunities, that doesn't mean we go looking for trouble. It doesn't mean we just jump into trouble. You know, going down to Mexico during spring break for the mission trip has been a part of this congregation's DNA for many years. Some of you have gone on that trip. Obviously, we have not been able to go for several years, and that breaks our heart. There's just so much volatility, so much unrest in Mexico. And we know it's dangerous, especially when we go driving through that border with 20 white vans with U.S. plates. I mean, you might as well just put a bullseye on it. You see, sometimes you use discernment. Sometimes you yield to the leading of God. You use the common sense that he's given you. You say, well, wait a second, that doesn't sound right. Earlier in chapter 14, Paul is in Iconium. He hears that they want to stone him. They want to kill him. He doesn't just walk through the main street and say, here I am. You know what he does? He leaves. He leaves town. In chapter 9, again, another plot to kill Paul. He finds out, and some of his friends lower him out of the city in a basket. They go Moses on him, put him in a basket. That has to be a big basket, doesn't it? He gets out of the city. He avoids danger. In chapter 23, same thing. Another plot to kill Paul. Seems like a lot of plots to kill Paul, right? He finds out. He gets the commander involved in it, and he gets a transfer from that place to a safer place. You see, Paul didn't always just jump headfirst into dangerous situations. He showed discernment. He submitted to the leading of God. But he also knew that danger was a necessary reality in a fallen world and a like, likely response to the gospel in a pagan world. And he remained faithful even in the face of danger. So we need to wrap up. Let me just ask you a couple of questions as you begin to apply this. The first question, they're fill-in-the-blank questions, your favorite kind, right? Probably multiple choices, your favorite, but this is a fill-in-the-blank question. The first question is this, blank is the greatest threat to the gospel right now. What would you put in that blank? I, I wish this was a class and we could have discussion. In fact, let me encourage you to use the sermon discussion resources later and have these conversations with others. But what would you put in that blank? What do you think is the greatest threat to the gospel right now? Many of us would put some kind of cultural force in there. Something going on in our world, something going on in our culture. You know, several years ago, someone might say postmodernism. Now they might say pluralism, or you might pick out some other cultural force, or you maybe just say immorality in general, or the media, or indifference. You, you pick something. But whatever you pick to put in that blank, here's what often happens. It triggers an alarm inside our heads. And that alarm says you need to insulate yourself from that, whatever's in the blank. You need to protect yourself from that, and you need to, to call out an outrage against it. And here's what happens. We look at that sentence and we never get past the blank. We fixate on the blank. We fear the blank and we never get to the gospel. Whatever we put in that blank moves us off of mission. Well, that's sort of abstract, so let's bring it closer to home. Second question is this. Blank is the greatest obstacle that you face, that I face, 
and sharing my faith and sharing the gospel right now? What would you put in that blank? Maybe it's some external force, the environment at work or a certain friend or whatever it is, or maybe it's something internal. It's, it's fear, it's anxiety, it's insecurity. I don't want people to judge me. I don't want to be rejected. I don't know what to say. What would you put in that blank? And again, I think the same thing happens. We never get past the blank. We never get to the gospel. We allow fear to move us off mission. The writer of Hebrews is talking to a a group of people in the first century who are being severely persecuted. In fact, in the very next chapter, he's going to mention in what we call the Faith Hall of Fame all the people who by faith gave everything. But before he gets there, he says this in chapter 10, verse 39, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. Did you see that? We don't, we're not part of the people who shrink back. We don't fall back. We don't give up. We don't throw in the towel. We belong to those who have faith and are saved. Those Christians could have quit. Paul could have quit. You can quit. No one would blame Paul, but he kept running. He kept running the race, keeping the faith. He did not shrink back, and we must not either. There's a world around us that desperately needs the good news of Jesus. We can't allow anything to get us off mission. Nothing. Nothing out there in our culture that we point fingers out and have outrage about or fear. Nothing inside of us. Nothing going on around us. Nothing can be allowed to move us off mission. As we've said, our Many of our high school kids just got back from Colorado, Poncha and Salida. Wonderful trip from all indications. I was talking to John Frias, one of our youth ministers, about the trip, and he said, you know, before, especially given the last couple of years, I was worried, I was a little concerned about how our group would come together, what would happen. We've all been sort of separated. And this is what he said about this past week. He said, this week showed that our group can still come together with God and for others. And it proves that our purpose is bigger than any of the challenges thrown at us. Our purpose is bigger than anything thrown at us. We will continue to be mission-minded here. Meaning we will continue to place a priority on being and making disciples. That doesn't mean we'll always do things the same way. We will adapt, we will learn. We will engage our culture rather than run from it or be afraid of it. But make no mistake, we will be mission-minded and we will continue to make disciples. Commission Sunday is a great reminder of our mission, isn't it? You saw the video at the beginning. It is our calling. It's not just a ministry of the church. It's not someone else's job. Making disciples is what God calls each of us to do. And so I want to ask you, will you be a part of what God is doing to make disciples? There are many, many ways to do that in our own world, but across the world, across the globe. We're reminded today of what God is doing through our mission efforts. I hope you'll be a part of that. You can see the ways to give on the screen. We usually, you know, back before COVID, we passed the plates out. We obviously aren't doing that. But I hope right now, that you'll make it happen or maybe set a reminder and take care of it later. For some of us, giving is the easiest thing to do when it comes to making disciples. For some of us, giving is the most difficult thing 
to do when making disciples. But for all of us, it's an important thing to do because it's a way that we partner with God with our mission efforts, mission projects, and missionaries to make disciples, to be mission-driven. And that is so important. So I hope that you'll be a part of what God is doing and give sacrificially and continue to pray for our mission efforts and continue to be a part of our mission efforts. We're hoping to keep our mission trips going. I'm so thankful that our youth got to go. We want to restart some of our mission trips as soon as we can, as soon as it's, it's wise to do that. And so be a part of praying about that. And before we wrap up, let me offer a prayer of thanksgiving and blessing over the offering today. Everything given goes straight toward missions. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for blessing us with so much. Father, we do know and we often say everything we have comes from you and it belongs to you. But God, sometimes we hang on to it very tightly. So Father, help us to be cheerful givers. Help us to be a part of what you're doing. Help us to open our eyes and see that there's a world out there in need of you and needed the good news. Father, I pray that we as Christians, that we as a congregation would never allow anything to move us off of mission. Father, when obstacles come, when opposition happens, help us to see the opportunity in that. Help us to have wisdom and discernment to know how to navigate through these things, maybe sometimes around these things. But Father, through it all, help us to glorify you and make Jesus known. Bless the offering taken today, those gifts given. Father, may everything be used to bring you honor and glory, to bring people into your kingdom, to share the good news. We give thanks and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. There will be obstacles in life. We can't always plan for what they will be, but we can plan that there will be obstacles. What will you do? Will you give up? Or will you press on and keep running the race? This morning, if we can encourage you in some way, we want to do that. The parlor is a room right behind me. In just a moment, when we stand up to sing a song, a shepherd or two and their wives will be in there and they would encourage you and pray for you. Just exit any door and make your way there. Or you can come down to the front and we as a church family will lift you up in prayer. Maybe today you're ready to make that decision, to surrender your life to Christ, the one who gave his life for you, to be baptized into Christ. If that's the case, we are so happy. We're thrilled to celebrate that decision with you. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. I need you.